Good morning, everyone. I wonder whether Richard decided to um, go away when he spotted what this passage was, um, all about children of the devil, and thought he would go away on holiday for a couple of days and, um, and leave it with me. Um, so, um, but fortunately, you'll know, you'll know this morning, I read one of, that first, one of those first verses, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that verse that um, is probably well quoted, um, we probably know quite well, we might journal it. Um, I thought, you know what, that's a beautiful verse, and that's going to be our focus this morning. So um, if that's the only thing you remember today, uh, that verse, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. If that's the only thing you take away this morning, if you want to nod off now for the next 20 minutes, that's absolutely fine. What the sort of love that's described here, it's not any sort of love. It's the sort of love that should absolutely take our breath away. It's an astonishing love. It's a love beyond our wildest dreams, beyond our comprehension. What sort of love is this? And our language doesn't pick it up properly because in the English language, we just have one word, love. But in Greek, there are different words. And the words that's, um, that's written here is the word agape love. This is a love that is referred to as God. It's a lavish love. It's a deep love. It's like being in the middle of a tropical rainstorm. It's not our typical British drizzle that you imagine. This is a drenching. It's literally the heavens opening. But just so that we get how awesome this love is, John adds in a word of surprise that likens it to something foreign, sort of outside the world that we know, unlike anything we've ever encountered or anything that we could ever encounter. And the word of surprise that he uses is the same word the disciples use when Jesus calmed the wind and the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples said, what sort of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. What sort of man is this? What sort of love is this? This is love in a completely different category. But yet, it's a love which is real. And we read here in this passage, um, which do keep open in front of you, we read it here that it's even been given at high cost to undeserving people like us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God delights in turning undeserving rebels into children who belong in his family. And it's the same in the whole of history. God never chooses the most privileged. He chooses the vulnerable, the weakest, the ones that society would overlook. And right back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're told that God chose Israel, not because they were the best of all peoples, but literally because God had set his affection on them. Just because he loved them, he chose them because he loved them, because. But what's incredible is that God doesn't just bother with us. He gives us his name, his status, and his identity. We are called children of God. And we've thought about the process of adoption into God's family in a previous week. The fact that we are chosen to be his children. We're given all the rights as family members. We have love lavished on us and not earned. 
But as we read it again here, it reminds us that this is our identity, first and foremost, more than any other way that we might choose to identify ourselves. This is the identity that God has for us. We are children of God. This is who we are. It's that song that we sang earlier about God being our father. That's who he is and that he loves us. That's who we are. And we're God's children forever, for eternity, but also for the present. And the reality of God being God's children starts right here and now. Now, if you can remember, right back to week one when we looked at um, 1 John and Bishop Graham was here for our baptisms and confirmations, and he asked the question, what is the secret of life? And in the next week, Richard asked the question, what is the ultimate goal of living? And John answers both questions here. He says, the secret and goal of life is knowing the love of God through Jesus as his children but also, it's also about loving others. And it's the answer that Jesus gave when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So this passage, this tells us that one of the signs of knowing that we are in this relationship, this friendship with God, is because of God being our Father, and therefore we're to live like his children. If we claim to be children of God, then we will be like him. We will reflect his character. We will live as Jesus did, and we will live in love to others. And we're just going to think about those three things briefly this morning. So, if we're going to be God's children, and if we reflect his love as his children, we will reflect his character. But the question is, how is it possible for us to reflect the character of God? Now, just like we have our earthly parents' DNA and characteristics, when we give our lives to Christ and become a Christian, somehow we inherit our Heavenly Father's DNA. And if you look at verse 9, it uses the word seed. And it's quite a blunt description using this word. It's literally just like using a mother or father's seed from an earthly mother or father. It's, like, it's being like parent, like child. Now, a lot of you will know that my dad passed away in April this year, and one of the things that I've really noticed myself doing is thinking about how I'm like him. Certainly some physical characteristics, some things that I like doing. But also, I've noticed that I am thinking about his characteristics and how I'd like to become like him. He was always known to be a man who was really kind, really gentle, really patient, and really humorous. So there's that natural part of me that naturally looks a bit like my dad and likes the things that he liked, but actually it's also a choice. I'd love to become like my dad was. And the DNA that God gives us is himself by his Holy Spirit, living and working within us and helping us to naturally reflect him. But the Holy Spirit also gives us longings and promptings to long to be like him, and also to help us to change, to reflect him. I want to be like my dad, but actually, how much more should I want to be like my heavenly father? 
To become like my heavenly father is to prove that I'm his child. Likeness is proof of that relationship. And verse 2 here promises that in some ways we shall be like him. Not God-like, but like God. And that hope that we have for the future should really inspire us to live in the present. So then then we we move on to think about what it means to reflect God's character. And the passage tells us the answer is this. Reflecting God's character means that we become more and more like Jesus. Just as we want children to to fulfill their potential in life, God wants us to fulfill our potential in life too. And God's potential for us is that we become more like Jesus. And this passage here tells us two things about becoming like Jesus. One is that we will live pure lives, and the second thing is that we will do right. So firstly, living pure lives. John says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. If we know the new life of God through the DNA of the Holy Spirit, we will live differently. But John is pretty blunt about this. He says, if we're not living the right way, then we're still walking in darkness and not in the light of Christ. This isn't meant to freeze us into inaction. Now, I don't know about you, but part, sometimes I think, well, if I'm never going to be like that, I might not as well bother. If I'm never going to be patient enough or kind enough, perhaps I'll just not try it as hard. But verse 5 tells us that Jesus has done it already. He has dealt with my sin. And as God's child, it means that I can become like Jesus, and also I can want to become like Jesus. And with the presence of God living within me, it's impossible to ignore those promptings. And it's a little bit like learning to walk or to ride a bike. When a child gets on a bike or starts trying to walk and they fall, we don't just look at them as they're lying on the floor. We encourage them to get up again, and they try again and again. And eventually, they learn to walk. Eventually, they learn to ride a bike, and then it becomes the most natural thing in the world. But it does mean that occasionally we'll still fall over, we'll still fall off our bike, but we do keep getting back up again. And it's the same thing, really. As I try and work at becoming more and more patient, for example, I might fall, I often fall, but I can slowly but surely, I can become more like Jesus. And wonderfully, sometimes he even gives moments in my life where I can look back and see that I have made some progress. While we shouldn't expect perfection, we also should not settle for a mediocre of living as a Christian or a really mediocre level of experience. And the Bible tells us that we have the full power of God available for us. And this is an incredible reality. We can live pure lives. And then comes the second way that we can emulate Jesus and prove ourselves to be God's children. And three times in 11 verses, and all of them in this passage, John talks about doing right. So we've thought about living pure, and now we're going to think about doing right. And John says, 
Everyone who does right has been born of him. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And all who do not do what are right are not from God. But there are lots of good people around today doing good in our world, aren't there? Fighting for our creation, fighting against modern slavery, and not everyone would claim to be a Christian. So what is different here with what John says about doing right? And it's all about the fact that we do what we do because we do it in God's name and because he is with us. In Acts 10, verse 38, it says, Jesus went around doing good because God was with him. Jesus healed and transformed society around him. He was devoted to God and to his world. And as we enter into that relationship with Jesus, we enter a new humanity and we find our real identity. We become children of God, devoted to God and devoted to his world as well. But we also have to be prepared that that, this life might carry some risk. Jesus didn't just preach and heal, but he gave his life for us. And he said to his disciples, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, when we use this word, when this word doing good is used in the other parts of the Bible, it's often translated as the word justice. For example, like the verse in Amos that says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In the Old Testament, people of God were chosen to be a light to the nations in how they lived in relationship with God, but also with each other. And when God was angry with them, it was often because they were trampling over the poor and needy in their society. And likewise, in the book of James in the New Testament, he challenges the new church whose members were not living justly. He rebuked them when they saw no inconsistency between their spiritual lives and the fact that they were happy to gossip and slander and ignore the starving and the vulnerable in their society. So I can say I'm a Christian. I might go to church, read the Bible, pray a bit, but if my life doesn't produce this sort of fruit, others might not believe me or take my faith seriously. So John asks here, which family do you belong to? He's really blunt. We bear the stamp of one family or the other, God's family or the devil's family. Which side are we on? Now, I don't know about you, but we might not like to use this language, and I actually find it really uncomfortable speaking like this. But John is telling us that there really are no other options. There's no sitting on the fence alternative, and we have to make our choice. We either remain in the darkness, or as it tells us in chapter 1, we live in the light of Christ. So this brings us to our last point. We thought about how it's possible to reflect God's characteristics, and that's by the, the, God's DNA in the Holy Spirit. We thought about what it means to live like Christ. And then the last point is this. What does it actually look like for us to live this life? And it means that we live as children of God now, like dearly loved children receive an inheritance. Now, with our youth recently, we've been talking about how children receive an inheritance from their 
parents when they die. And I mean, I'm hoping that none of us, none of them, are thinking about bumping any of us, any of us off. But um, but we've been talking about the fact that when we have a will, we receive an inheritance, and you don't just leave it. Um, you don't just say thank you, and you don't just ignore it. So my dad left his car to my mum. It's not just any old car. It's a 1930s Lagonda. And he used this for the joy of many throughout his life. Now we could, use this, we could leave this car sitting in the garage and going rusty. But actually, it honors our dad's memory by using this car, by continuing to bring joy to other people when it's out on the road, rather than leaving it sitting in the garage. And just like, thank you, Bill. Just like we use an inheritance that has been given to us now, Jesus enables us to access his inheritance that he has given us now. And 1 Peter 1 verse 4 explains it like this. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. Or in a more familiar translation, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Our Father in heaven has given us an inheritance which is life. Jesus has won eternal life or kingdom life for us. And we pray about it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says the most important thing in our lives should be to hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God to come on earth now. Jesus transformed society, bringing in the kingdom of God, but he also preached and he related everything he did back to the kingdom of God. So he taught that when miracles happen, when people's lives are changed, when there were healings, it was all because the kingdom of God was present amongst us. So what does it look for us, look like for us as a church to bring God's healing to the world around us? Well, some of us have been reading a very challenging book recently. Um, I don't know how many of you have read it, um, called Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Um, I'd really recommend it, but not if you don't want to be challenged. Um, but in it, he talks about the church both being a place of healing and restoration, but also about the church being a place that takes healing and restoration out into the world around, and doing so in the name of Jesus. We do it as a collective, as a church, so our work on Iverbridge is a great example, but also as individual Christians. So just because we as a church um, are working um, on Iverbridge, that doesn't let, let me off the hook. What does it mean for me to take healing and rest out to the world? And how, how do I do this in my Father in Heaven's name? So I've got one last example to use from my own dad. My dad taught me to drive. As you can imagine, he, and as you can see, he was a great car enthusiast. He loved his cars. He was passionate about cars of all ages. But I find myself telling people now that I love to drive and that I'm a good driver because my dad taught me to drive. And it's because some, it was something he was passionate about. But how much more should I want to tell the world that I do things and I care because of my Father in heaven, because he loves the world 
and because he is passionate about justice. So if I'm looking after the planet and fighting for its survival, to say I'm doing this because my Father in heaven created this beautiful place. Or to say I'm fighting and I'm passionate about better quality homes for the most vulnerable in society because my Father in heaven cares. Or if we're fighting against, you know, against modern slavery and fighting for a release, we say it's because my Father in heaven is in the business of freeing the captives. So we're going to go back to the beginning again. That's why the passage starts about with God's agape love. God's love is not just an emotion. Love as an emotion is sort of useless and pointless. If I tell my family I love them, but I don't do anything to show it, it doesn't demonstrate my love for them. God doesn't just sit there and tell us he loves us. God's love is intensely practical. It took Jesus to the cross. We only know about God's love because of what he did, because of his creation, because of his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection. So as I finish, God is in the business of bringing wholeness and healing to every area of life. His love works through us and enables us to live rightly and practically towards others. But he also wants us to be able to tell the world why. To tell them this, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for that incredible truth that we are your children. And your love is not like a British drizzle. Your love is like a drenching. It's like an outpouring. It's like that tropical rainstorm. Father, help me to take this love out into the world around me. Not just to prove that I am your child, but to draw others to you as well, so that your family will grow Father, if there are areas in my life that I know that you've been prompting about me about this morning, Father, help me to know how to make changes, how to do things differently, how to walk closer to you, how to follow the promptings of your Holy Spirit. But most of all, Father God, thank you for that incredible love for us, that lavish love for us as your children. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.